Hey friends, my name's Stevie Taylor. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. My guest today is Mark Costa. Mark is a bass player, composer, arranger and music teacher from Sydney. He came to prominence as the bass player in the house band um, of Australian Idol. Um, he's also played with a bunch of Australian artists and, and international artists including The Temptations, Tom Jones, Leo Sayer, Go West, Debbie Reynolds, Marsha Hines, Margaret Hillich, Shannon Noel, Guy Sebastian, James Morrison and um, oh yeah, the list goes on and on. Uh, he also plays in a bunch of um, stage musicals, uh, We Will Rock You, The Bodyguard, Mamma Mia, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and currently he's playing uh, the stage show Madiba. A super cool cat with a bunch of real cool stories. Um, it was a real buzz meeting him and, and chatting with him. So here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Costa. Cheers. I think we're rolling. Mark Costa, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thanks, and it's a pleasure to be here, mate. Thank you very much. Now, Thanks for inviting me. No, too easy, man. Um, we're in the um, Podcast HQ, the headquarters. Um, there's a selected few that have been here, so, <laughs> <laughs> which is just my lounge. We're just sitting in my lounge, drinking coffee and <laughs> drinking water. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, what are you currently up to? I'm currently doing a show called Madiba the Musical. It's a yep. it's a musical about Nelson Mandela. Yep. I believe it premiered in in Paris. Yep. Um, and it's written by you know some French composer and people. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've been doing that. I, and uh, I, I replaced Gavin Pearce, who was um, you know the original bass player who did most of the Melbourne season. I came in and did the last week in Melbourne, and I've done the Sydney season at the State Theatre, and we did um, three nights in Canberra. And we're on a bit of a break now, and then it does Perth and Adelaide in January. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then after that, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the um, is it? Are you doing sort of matinee shows and night shows, or just one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the, it's kind of the um, you know eight show a week. Is that, that kind of thing. deal? Yep. Yeah. 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 Um. So yeah, there's a couple of matinees in there. It's only it's 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 a, it's a quite a small show. Yeah. Because um, I've done like you know bigger shows. I did like Mamma Mia and yep. Bodyguard and things like that, and they're quite big shows, you know, a lot of cast and, you know, big big productions, right. um, but this one's relatively small, like, oh, the, okay. the band is only, there's only three of us, it's, it's only oh, a trio, right. it's like keyboards, percussion and bass. Right, you and know. who are those players on that? Uh, so, the, the musical director is Michael Tyack, mm-hmm. who's, who's been around for a million years, like, yep. a, a, on piano. Um, we're very well-known musical um, director. Um, the percussionist is a guy called John Clark, who um, Sydney, but he's Sydney born, but lives in been living in Melbourne for the last twenty odd so years, and he's kind of like playing, you know, congas and African percussion and right. um, you know all that stuff, bongos, and um, and then me on bass. 
you know. Oh. And then we're playing to a lot of stems, a lot of like tracks, you know. Just track stuff, yeah. Yeah, so yep. you know, there's you know, there's a lot of you know, BBs and there's a couple of rap kind of numbers in there, so there's some loops and yep. that sort of stuff. Oh, so that that rap stuff and the BBs is in the tracks as well. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. okay. yep. it is a small cast, and you know, Makes and sense. I think there was like an album that was released, and I think that you know, some of them were kind of like big, kind of um, you know production type numbers so they've just grabbed sure. you know that and I think it's you know probably maybe economics wise you know it's only just like yeah, a three piece band absolutely. you know economics usually you know dictates everything you yeah, know the budgets days, and stuff yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. so um, it's actually very rare to do a, sh- a modern show now where you're not playing to tracks and yep. you know um, uh, you know Priscilla Mamma Mia um, Bodyguard they're, they're all you know, to tracks so Big, bigger bands though with those yeah bigger things? bands yeah, yeah definitely yeah I mean Mamma Mia we had um, there were three keyboard players um, two guitars and uh, percussion uh, tuned and untuned percussion mm. and uh, myself on bass and drums Right, I was yeah. going to say drums because that's two shows you've said without drummers. Yeah. Drummers. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this was the this was the yeah. first show where there hasn't been a drum, yeah, 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 drums yeah, in yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and and bodyguard was like a similar sort of setup. I think we we had horns. Priscilla similar setup had horns. Only one guitar in that one. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was was. Steve Marin, the drummer on Bodyguard, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Got yeah. to meet Steve, and, yeah, cool. and we had a we had a ball. You yeah, know, yeah. Loved loved his playing. Yeah, um, he's playing with Jersey Boys now. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, really. He was my first guest, actually. First Is that right? Yeah, he was far out. First cab off the ranks. Kenny, I hope he behaved Kenny himself. Kenny Piggy calls himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, it was good. Yeah, no, great guy, great. Great player, loved playing with him, and you know he nailed that, that, that those grooves, and yep, you know because yep. you know the whole Whitney thing, the big yeah, ballads yep. and all that. Yeah, he was just fantastic. Did he nail the? Um, oh and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, you can't, not everybody can. That's just a play big that moment. One shot. It's you, one big shot. Yeah, and if you if you stuff that up, <laughs> everyone will know. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no problem. Ricky Lawson will be turning in his grave. Actually, yeah. now that I think yeah. about it, I think there was like a, a click cue into that. I think there was probably oh, maybe. Maybe like you know, because you know, where everything's to click. Of course. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there was probably like a you know a click, click blump yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing. You know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Steve, if you're listening, you might want to. You know, I might be wrong on that. So yeah, maybe feel free to correct make me. Make a note in the book. Make a note. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very good. All right, man. Well, let's um, let's uh, roll back to the beginning. Yeah, um, wow. You Sydney born? I am Sydney born. Yeah. Yep. Born yep. and bred. Yep. Um, my parents were musicians. Okay. My mother was a singer. My dad a drummer. Yep. In fact, the very first instrument I learnt was the drums. Oh, cool. And I was hopeless. Right. I have no coordination whatsoever. Like you know, my, I've got a brother who's like a year younger than me, and um, you know, he he's a complete natural. Like if anyone was born to be a musician, it was him. Right. But you know, he just was kind of like. Um, complete natural, but didn't like to study or you know practice and all that sort of stuff. So he was like a really natural kind of drummer and guitar player and all that. Um, and, but I get on the drum kit and it's like oh you know trying to coordinate my feet with my hands. It was just a nightmare. You know I was hopeless. Right. I'm a bit of an uncoordinated guy anyway. So, um, but yeah. So um, drums was my first instrument, and I had an accident when uh, I was about thirteen. 13 or 14, I, I broke my ankle and I was on crutches and I was going down some stairs and I actually fell over and broke the other ankle as well. So both my ankles were broken. And so I was like confined to bed pretty much, you know, um, for, for, for a few weeks. 
Um, and uh, there was a bass in the corner. Uh, my dad had bought my mother a bass, thinking that my mum's going to take it up and become a singing bass player, you know. And mum lasted about 10 or 15 minutes and just said, no, that's yep. not me, and put it in the corner. And so, you know, and when I had this accident, you know, I was kind of bored, you know. You can only do so much reading and <laughs> watching TV. So I would just, like, you know, grab the bass and kind of, like, you know, tinker around on it, you know. And, and, and this was around 1976, 1977, so disco was a really big... This was the big thing on the radio. Right. So I actually would tape songs off the radio and just, like, learn the bass lines, you know. And I probably didn't even... Maybe I got close, maybe half close. I don't I can't quite remember. But I had a lot of fun. Yeah. And it was a way of actually sort of, like, you know, getting into the bass. You know, I had no technique, you know, just using my ear and, you know, my ear wasn't developed and trying to figure out these bass lines. So the first song I ever learnt was You Should Be Dancing by the Bee Gees. Yeah, right. You know, that was the, you know, and then I... Yeah. Yeah, that's yep. it, you know, and, and you know, because the Saturday Night Fever yeah. thing was yep. big. So, yeah, a lot of that material, I was just, that was on all on the radio, More Than A Woman and all that sort of stuff, and so I was just learning all that um, and just... And over t- and, and this kind of lasted for a number of weeks, and then I just started to develop. Oh, this was like this is this is great fun. I'm having a ball. This awesome. is awesome. And my dad noticed it. My dad sort of like could see that I was kind of like spending you know hours doing this sort of stuff. And my dad was kind of playing in clubs, RSL clubs at the time, and he kind of brought me in to play with him. You know, at, at these clubs. So dad on drums and me on bass, and I, I would sort of do these club gigs with my dad and like I couldn't read I could I could kind of get around the bass but I didn't really have much technique or whatever so um you know I pretty much learned on the job mm. how to read like those early gigs were just terrible like you know the the you know I'd be, it would be a trio be dad and um, drums me on bass and the piano player and we'd be like backing acts you know, right. and so I'd be standing there with all this music and looking at the bass part, thinking, "What the hell's all this?" Like, you was know. it notes or? Well, yeah, or notes. Oh, yeah, right. like like actual charts. And you hadn't yeah. seen like, up I, to that point. I, I, you know, it was just like it was all foreign to me. Yeah, you know, course, and yeah, so yeah. Um, you know, those first few months, you know, I pity those acts, you know, because I just <laughs> annihilated their shows. You know, there was one act in particular. <laughs> Where there was this, you know, this like flimsy metal stand, and this act had like a five-page bass chart. And I remember when we started the show, I was like, my dad counts off one, two, one, two, three, four, and I'm like, you know, we're we're going, and I'm hitting every wrong note possible, like not even close. You know, it's awful. And then suddenly the music stand collapsed, and the music just went all over the place. Where oh. I looked at my dad, and he just said, "Keep going," you know. <laughs> Oh, and it was just like I, I did not get one note right, right. you know, for, the, for, for 45 minutes or 50 minutes or however the act went on. And I remember <laughs> going up to the, the musical director of that particular singer and saying, oh, look, thank you, you know. And, and he, that, that guy did not want to talk to me, look at me. <laughs> you know, he, was just, he was just, you know, and I was just... I would have been about 16, right. 16 or 17. Right. It was awful. But over time... I, you know, like doing it every weekend. Yeah. Um, I got stronger. I got better. I started to recognise things. Things started to become familiar, and you know, I go, oh, that rhythm. I know that rhythm. You know, and learn on the job. Yeah. And that's so how did, I got. But did you have any idea of um, sort of chords and progressions and the notes that made up the chords? Yeah. Before you went into that. Not so much 
not so much harmony. Like, I mean, obviously, if I saw like a C major seven, I knew that I hit the C. Okay. You know, that's okay. the root note. Right. I, I knew that. Okay. You know, yep. so so if there was a, like a chord chart, I could actually kind of like do that. But okay. I think I was just like really green about everything else. You know, yep. I mean, I I had a few, couple of lessons from various people. Yep. Um, you know, like um, Ed Gaston was a famous jazz bass player. Um, with Don Burrows and all that. So I had a couple of lessons with him. In fact, Ed, I remember going to a lesson at his place, and I would never practice too. I was the worst student, awful. Like, I'd, you know, they'd say, oh, do you practice da-da-da? And i go, no. Um, but Ed actually played me that Jaco Pistorius album. You know, I remember he, he said, check this out, and he played um, that track, Donnelly. Donna he said, check this out, and he played it, and I was just, like, gobsmacked. I didn't know what it was yeah. I didn't know you know how technically difficult it was at that time all I knew that back then that wow that was amazing and it was really good you know and then it's, it's amazing how you know that that stuff sort of stays with you you know yeah, oh, you yeah. know and um yeah so that was like a really you know and I haven't heard, and and that was kind of my introduction into that whole kind of weather report yep you know, all that, because I, I thought, oh, this, I love that guy's sound and all that, you know, so I would buy a Weather Report album, and, you know, which was heavy weather. Yeah. I mean, what a great time to, yeah. be, to be alive, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, checking it out and then just hearing Jarko's playing, and I just went, oh, I love that. That sounds yeah. great, you know. Uh, and, you're right, that it was it was more the Jacko, Jacko sound than as, as an amazing player that he was, mm. but you just knew it was him. Mm. You just... So easily identifiable, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. just such a such yeah. a strong sound, a voice, strong voice. Yeah, well, boy, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, bass players, but um, actually, I might might get myself in trouble here if I say. Go this. on, <laughs> go for it. Um, it's your podcast. Yeah, I, I guess so. But still, I want people to listen. <laughs> um, am I wrong in saying that it's a little bit harder for a for a bass player to develop a sound? No, I wouldn't say that because okay. I, I think everyone has a has a sound. You know, yeah. some probably less developed than others. But I think, like, you know, um, you know, with Jarko, for example, um, you know, he could he could pick up any bass and it would sound like him. You know, yeah, right. And he actually famously says, "The sound is in your hands." Yeah. You know, that was like a quote. I remember that was on the front of Downbeat. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, but I mean, like, you you think of like Marcus Miller and. Um, um, Jaco, um, Mark King. Mm. You just, you just, you know, you know it's there. You know it's there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I could say the same about local guys too. Like, okay, I mean, right. like you know, like um, Steve Hunter, for example. Like, right. you know, amazing bass player. Yep. And you know, and and I've got a quick Steve Hunt story to tell awesome. as well. Um, but you know, he's got a really strong identifiable sound. It doesn't matter what bass he plays. Right. It's just you know. And I think it is kind of like. The sound is in your hands, but it's also what you play as well. You know, right. you, we all have our licks and stuff, you know, but that yep. becomes a part of us, you know. Yep. Um, yeah. My quick um, Steve story is like um, after I said I'd bought Weather Report and all that, I, I ended up working on the Fairstar the cruise ship yep. and, and was on there for like eight months in the in reading band. And they had a series of rock bands, you know, and I remember that in one particular cruise, Steve Hunter was in the rock band, you know, it was him and a guy called... Guy Leclerc on guitar and um, Mike Haig on drums. Anyway, so but but Steve blew me away. I mean, I was I was nineteen. He was probably about twenty one or so, 
And man, he was playing all this Jaco stuff, you know, like right. all those licks, and you know, he knew, you know, and I was just like gobsmacked, thinking, man, that was the first kind of like local guy that I saw that was just like on the par with, oh, with right, what okay. I was hearing, you know, on those records. Because right. Steve was just like had an amazing facility, incredible musician. Um, love you, Steve, if you're listening. Uh, and um, you know, and I was just like floored, you know. And I was the guy in the in the other band that you know, in the reading band, you know, back in the acts and yeah. and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, yeah, but that was like you know, wow, this guy, he's like this, he can play all that stuff, you know. It blew me yeah, away, that's you know. Cool. Yeah, it's quite amazing. And of course, you know, he's the legend that he is now. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm just sitting there thinking, have I still got? Bass player fans now after. <laughs> no, of course you do. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't offend anybody. Um, all the bass players are listening to this yeah, right now, right. you know. <laughs> no, cool. just yeah. Um, okay, so um, with your dad's, um, you doing the shows and that kind of thing? Yeah, like, that's how I basically learned how to read. Yeah, how to read, and, yep. And all that. So where did it sort of go from there? Okay, so um, actually, funny enough, like I was kind of, um, you know, I left school. I actually left school in, at the end of year 11 because I just knew that the HSC, the high school certificate year 12, was going to be a write-off because okay. at, that, at that point I was it, well entrenched in music. You know? Yeah, same with me. <laughs> and in, in fact, um, it, this is a funny story, is that, um, and, and not many people would know this, but I love those first two Midnight Oil albums and I played them religiously when I would get home from school um, because the bass player on those two records was a fantastic bass player. Um, Andrew, uh, I've forgotten his name. Anyway, played a rickerbacker with a pick, but just great lines and great, you know. Anyway, so I would go, every time I'd get home from school, I wouldn't be doing my homework. I'd be, like, putting those albums on and just playing them, you know, you yeah. know um, back-to-back kind of thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway. So um, I got a day job after I left school in a bank, and I remember... Uh, what were you doing in the bank? I was... I was a teller? I, I was a, no, I wasn't a teller. I was actually in, a, in the bank department. It was actually the Bank of New South Wales, which is now Westpac. Right. And um, I was in the department, the personal finance department, and right. I was looking after personal loans. Right. So all the branches would ring in, and then they'd get, want to get customer balances. It was all on microfiche, very, very primitive you know, <laughs> way of doing it. And I was there for about two years and I remember I got a phone call one day and uh, you know so this is before this is like 1981 no mobile phones or any of that sort of stuff you know um, old telephones so I get a phone call and it's a woman saying oh how would you like to do a cruise to Tahiti on the, <coughs> on the fair start P&O fair start I went yeah that's great um, look uh, can I get back to you I'll just have to find out if I can get some time off you know, so I went to the, the, the you know, the boss, said, oh, can I have some time off, you know, around this period? And he goes, no. And I said, okay, that's all right. I quit. Yeah. <laughs> so I quit the job, went on the fair start, did the trip to Tahiti, was amazing, you know, it was just seeing the world and going to all those islands and everything. Did, so I ended you, did up, you sail to Tahiti or you flew to Tahiti, got on a ship? No, no, we actually left Sydney, left Sydney. and then sailed and so, we did like, you yep. know, Tonga and yep. American Samoa and all that stuff and then went to Tahiti yep. and came all the way back. Yep. I had an absolute ball and, um, you know, ended up staying on there for eight months. So we'd come back to Sydney, drop off those passengers, pick up new ones and then go off and do like, you know, Fiji or, you know, any of that stuff. So for eight months, you know, yep. it was amazing. Um... That's when I really started to become like a really strong reader. You know, I was backing acts all the time. Yep. Um, you know, and I could play a little bit. 
you know, I could get kind of get around. Nowhere near what Steve Hunter was at that particular time. But right. like, but I could get around. I thought I was, you know, a pretty good player. Yeah. You know. Um, so when that finished, eight months on that, that all finished, and then I was back in Sydney, and it was like, well, now what am I going to do? You know, I didn't know, didn't have anything planned or whatever. So I used to go to King's Cross a lot and check out a lot of the music. It was like. So a lot of bands, a lot of lot of um, venues, you yeah. know, Paradise Room, the Persian Room, you know, later on the All Nations Club, all that sort of stuff was all kind of like happening. And I remember going to the Paradise, it was called the Paradise Jazz Cellar, that's right. And uh, I remember like standing there, it was packed, and there was Victor Rounds playing in a band called Dumbala with Concentenary, Robbie Krupski, you know, it was, uh, Sunil De Silva on percussion. Great band, yeah. really, really good band. And I just was going, wow, you know. And then next door, I would go and sit in the Persian room and see Doug Williams and Power. And there was Doug, you know, and they're playing all these funk yeah. tunes. Sunil was playing drums on that. Yeah, thing, right. You know, and, and funky is all get out, you know. And then there was the Musicians Club, you know, I went there, saw Barry Leaf's band, Andy Sidari on bass. I think it might have been Mark Kennedy on drums, Andy Burns. You know, it was a, an amazing time. Amazing time, yeah. You know, a lot of great players out there. Um, so, as luck would have it, Victor decides to leave Dumbala, you know, and then they had a, another guy come in who lasted, didn't last very long, a Jamaican guy. Um, and then I got the call. You know, I don't know, you know because I, I, I don't, I'm not sure how it happened. I think maybe Victor might have recommended me. I'm, I'm so long ago, I can't remember. Mm. So I got the call and I was in the band, you know, and uh, so there I am with the Paradise Jazz Cellar, you know, I could play, but, you know, I think, you know, my groove was really stiff at that time, and, you know, and all these, but I got to know people, people yep. were coming down to see that band, you know, right. and, um, you know, and, and, then, and then all of a sudden it's just started to sort of springboard from there. I was in another band called Doug Smith and the Crisps, there was a great bass player in that band called Ian Belton, amazing pop bass player, played on Ian Moss's Matchbook album. Right. Incredible. Passed away, unfortunately, in 1992. Great friend and a great player. And, um, you know, and I, I replaced him in, in, this, in that, that band. So I was kind of like this up-and-coming guy that was doing these sort of gigs and people were coming to see, you know, those bands and, you know, just getting to meet these people. And um, then I got a gig doing Jesus Christ Superstar which is the musical. Mm -hmm. um, and then that led to um, um, working with Marsha Hines and Doug Parkinson. So, again, more people are seeing all that sort of stuff. So I suppose I was kind of like just sort of starting to get known, yep. you know, and, and um, you know, the All Nations Club, there was, that, there was music happening six nights a week or maybe even seven nights a week. I was playing there, and you know, so it was, it was all about that sort of like people getting to know you through that. You know. Yeah. How how many gigs were you playing a week back then? Oh, I was pretty busy. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was seven. I won't be that yeah. <laughs> presumptuous, but I think it was probably maybe sort of like maybe four to five gigs a week. Yeah. Maybe maybe yeah. even six sometimes. Yep. You know, and it was interesting because I was also I was so I was kind of like doing this sort of like the the funky kind of stuff. Uh, you know, with, with, with those type of bands, you know, all nations. But I was also doing the reading stuff as well, the club thing. Yep. So I started to sort of like, you know, um, 
sort of rise, if you like, in, 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 in those different circles, different yeah, yeah. you know, and to a point where, like, you know, uh, it, it's really paid off now because, like, you, 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 now you've, you've just got a big pool yeah. where, you know, you could be doing a theatre thing one time, you know, for a time or you could be doing a club thing or a wedding or, you know, so it's all about, you know, the, the, the variety, the diversity, yeah. you know, just being able to put your foot in different camps and be able to cut the gig, you know, yeah, in all cool. those things, you know. Yeah. So whether it be rock or pop or, you know, um, sessions, all that, I know people in all those, yep. as we all do, we all know people yep. in all those things and that's how you kind of make a living. Yep. Gee, did that sound long-winded or what? No, they're all keep, keep going. <laughs> oh, I think all the, everyone's, just, everyone's asleep no, out there. Not, not Wake up, everybody. No, you'd, you'd be surprised. People get, they get fixated on it. They mm. love it. It's good. Um, how did the Margaret Ellis thing come along? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that was so. A lot of my friends were doing the pop thing, um, you know. That so the late eighties. Um, you know, I mentioned my friend Ian Belton. You know, he was doing a lot of pop stuff. Victor Rounds was playing with Jenny Morris, um, and yeah, just and Jackie Ozarski was playing with the Rock Melons. So there was all these, you know, great gigs that were kind of happening. You know, yeah. and um, so I kind of, you know, made a decision to sort of you know grow my hair a bit and. You know, kind of like, you know, enter into that world. You know, Cause cause he's long. I had really long, long hair. Long hair, yeah. yeah. Believe it or not, yeah, it was like yeah. halfway down, down my back. back. You know? <laughs> I yeah, I know. I was watching some videos last night. I know, it's just <laughs> yeah. amazing, isn't it? You know, it's like people look at me and go, well, yeah, where yeah. the hell did it all go? I'd like to know that <laughs> as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, so there was a. Uh, I, now I'm just trying to think what happened. I think I got a call from Mark Punch, I think. Mark Punch was the, the original guitar player. Played on the album as well. And, um, yeah, I'm thinking that. I think that's what happened. I think Mark called me and said, you know, would you like to come and, you know, are you interested in, you know, playing some gigs with this girl, Margaret Ellich? I'd never heard of Margaret, you know. Yep. She was big in New Zealand, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah huge. Yep. I met her brother, actually. I met her brother, Pat, um, before I met her. Um, so anyway, so I I rocked up and um, you know and I think we did a couple of gigs, um, a couple of TV things because her album Saving Numbers was was um, about to be released. Yep. So we did a couple of shows and then I kind of you know just was a member of the band you know right. it was and it was yeah um, great times. I actually you know I, I said this on Facebook recently. I actually thought I was the luckiest bass player in town because. That first album, I mean, was Robin Smith producing an amazing musician producer, you know, and he was sequencing all these incredible bass lines on these, you know, really cool songs. Oh, right. And I'm playing them live, you know, oh, and right. touring, okay. around, touring around Australia, and I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty good, and we're, you know, playing to full houses, yeah. you know, all over the place, you know, in, you know, nationally. We went to New Zealand and supported Farnham. You know, Farnham was uh, John Farnham was doing the Chain Reaction tour right. in New Zealand. Yep. So we supported him on that. That was amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, I ended up being with Margaret for. I had two sort of stints with Margaret. That, that there was that uh, the original sort of like Safety Numbers kind of tour. Well, yep. I think we kind of like went. We kind of toured around Australia three or four times. You know, um, and uh, then I wasn't in her band for a couple of years and then I came back, you know, and then, then I was with her again for another, um, maybe another couple of years or so. Yep. Yeah. I, I, you know, it was a great time. 
great music, great. A lot of great drummers went through that band. Yeah. <clears throat> a lot of all great musicians, even. You know, mm. Kerry Buchanan. Um, you know, loved playing with him and Gordon Ritmeister was in there. Gordy's, you know, a, a, been a, a friend for a long, long time. Andrew Gander was in the band for a oh, while. Yeah. John Watson, Watto. Yep. Phil Campbell, Mitch Farmer. Right. You know, it was pretty good. You know, pretty good. And I was, you know, playing playing with these cats. It was great. Yep. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Mm. Hamish, oh, Hamish Stewart. Hamish Stewart. Yeah, yeah. the famous Hamish. Um, yeah, he was he was you know funny funny guy, great player funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's been posting some uh, stuff on Instagram lately. He's quite seems quite funny. Oh, I've he's met, hilarious. I've never, never met the guy, but he's yeah quite, quite we, kooky in his posts. We had a car yeah. accident together. Oh, lovely. I, yeah, it was my oh, fault. And, uh, yeah, there was a, a very bonding, <laughs> and um, yeah, we've got some some certain sayings that we say to each other. You know, yes. <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> Thirty years later. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, but Margaret, you know, great singer, great tunes. Yep. Um, yeah, it was she was, you know, lover. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. Now I first um, found out about you um, through Australian Idol when mm. Australian Idol first came on TV. I was telling you earlier, yeah. um, coming from New Zealand, the only sort of uh, TV band, any bands on TV that I got to see was Hey, hey Saturday. Yeah. And I used to sit up and watch that, and watch Darren Frugia and the rest of the guys. Craig Newman, yeah, that's yeah, nice just cool. incredible. Um, and then, yeah, didn't see much else of that on you know New Zealand TV or, or so much on Australian TV. But I wasn't really. I, it's not till later that I realised there was some other shows with with bands on it, but like, I didn't really know about it. But mm. until Australian Idol came on, and and like I was telling you before, I, I'd never really watched it for so much. The axe. I used to just watch the band, and of course, find out who the people were in the band, you know. And I mm. got to find out about you know, who you were and yep. and Gordon Meister and Rex Guy. Yeah, and yeah. Those guys, yeah, yeah, those guys. Chris so, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, how did that kick come about? Yeah, well, actually, it was kind and of. You, oh, sorry, you you were bassist and you became one of the arrangers. arrangers. Yeah, yep. Yep. yeah. So. It was kind of funny how the whole band thing came about on that show because if if you remember back in, in the early days of it, it was just John Foreman playing piano to them singing. So it was just piano and vocal. And I think they did it as an experiment. They thought, why don't we try it with a band for, for you know, an episode or, or, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. And so that was, you know, John Foreman pretty much asked Gordy you know, because Gordy and John went to the Cons Conservatory of Music together. Oh, right. And they, 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 they you know, been friends from way back then. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, um, John asked Gordy who he would like to play with on bass. And I'd done I'd done a bit of work with Gordy prior to that. Like, I'd played with you know, a few bands and... Um, and, uh, you know, and actually, my dad taught Gordy how to read. Oh, right. Believe it or not, yeah. you know. And when Gordy was in high school. Um, anyway, so, um, and Gordy recommended me because I think they were looking for someone that could read and knew all, all the different styles, could play all the different styles. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, Gordy recommended me. Thanks, Gordy, um, for that. <laughs> uh, so that's how I got the gig. Yep. And then the, the original band was uh, myself, Gordy, Dave Pritchard Blunt on second keys, uh, Rex Go, and Peter Northcote. 
Oh, right. the original guitar player. Yeah, and uh, Gordy myself. Gee, I hope I haven't left anyone. Oh, and Tony has a party on percussion. Of course, my mate Tones. Um, so that was the original band. And then uh, Peter wasn't with us, and then they got um, Dave Longo. I think John Benison might have been doing it as well in that first series, I think. But I remember Dave Longo did it, did it for a bit, and then Chris Camzillis came in in the second series. So, so, so I'm kind of fast forwarding here. Yeah, so yeah, that the band, the band thing, they loved it. You know, that they, they they thought, oh, this is this sounds great, and then that's how we actually became part of the right. part of the show. Right. You know, um, and none of us knew what it was really. You know, yeah, it was just yeah. a, just a show. But so, but it was quite amazing how the public took to that show. Um, you know, it became bigger than Ben Hur, and I remember that. After that first season, they did a tour, a national tour after after it, um, and that was just you know doing all the entertainment centres, and yeah. that was just mental. Like right. I mean, you know, it was like packed and screaming kids, and you know wow. that you know. So guy won that first series, and Shannon, it was like Shannon and Cosima, and you know all these people, and everyone's just losing their mind. All the punters are just losing their mind. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, it was just. Incredible, yeah. and so we're, we're getting flown around, and we're playing these big. And I believe there was like a they filmed and broadcast like one of the shows that we did at, at, in Melbourne at Rod Laver Arena. Yeah, it was good. It, mental. Yeah, <laughs> it was very. It was a lot of fun. Right. And um, uh, you know, and then we did the you know the second season. You know, there was like you know Ricky Lee was in that. Anthony Kalia, Casey Donovan, Casey Donovan won won that series, and there was another tour. Same kind of thing, but it didn't didn't. It was. It went okay, you know. It wasn't like it had had the same success as right. the first season, um, and then they sort of can the tour thing. But the show kicked on for like seven years, right? You know, after that. So it was I, only two years of the touring after that. That's right. Yeah, right, they okay. didn't do that. Yeah, I mm. think because they did because they didn't make probably as much money as of the course. first. You yeah. know, so they pulled the pin. Um, so what actually happened, I was doing courses for, on, um, through Berkeley, you know, Berkeley College of Music. They actually had online courses taught by the actual faculty at the school. Oh, right. And so I did the arranging courses, you know, and oh, right. so that's how I kind of, you know, learnt more or less how to, how to arrange. And I actually said to John one day, I just said, oh, you know, if you love to arrange something, if you... You know, have anything you you know? Just sort of put my hand up for it, you know. And then John said, "Yeah, sure." And so I got a, a song and arranged that. And I remember the band. <laughs> uh, you know, this is the sort of sense of humour that I have to deal with. You know, I think Gordy might have been the instigator. Um, you know, so the band. You know, John counts it off, and the the first note the band plays, just like it's just sounded horrible. They're all going crank, crank, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And I was, <laughs> I looked up, I was mortified. You know, thinking. You know, and then you know they're all kind of like you know looking at their their music, thinking, oh, is you know is this right? And it was a big gag. You yeah, know, yeah, of course. So it was like you know, um, so that, that was funny because yeah. I, I knew it was because like it didn't sound like that when, you know, when I was playing it through Sibelius <laughs> and all that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a sort of sense of humour that these yeah. guys have. Um, so anyway, yeah, and um, started to sort of like gradually do a little bit more and yeah. You know, that's I basically learned how to write for strings and orchestra on that gig. Right. You know, um, because so you, I used to watch it and go, man, does, does John Foreman ever sleep? Because mm. it's just so. Yeah, I ne never realised there'd be more arrangers. 
Yeah, yeah. well, actually, you know, I'll give credit where credit's due. Dave, um, Dave Pritchard Blunt, who was the second keyboard player, he did the majority of it. Okay. You know, um, he, because he was quite quick um, and uh, he was, you know, a piano player and, and uh, you know, very great musician. So he, he would do a majority of it. And then there was uh, another girl, Libby B., fantastic bass player, friend of mine, great arranger too, and she would do some. So, you know, Dave would do probably, you know, maybe half. Libby would do probably, you know, um, you know, four or five, you know, a week, and then I would probably get one or two. Okay. You know, so, it was, so it was like the best. Right, every so it was really a week. spread out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of far now. I mean, but later on when John had left, I, I actually did more arranging, you know. I oh, did he get, leave? Did he, was... he, yeah, he left, um, he left after the sixth, sixth season. And how many seasons did it run? So, seven. Oh, so okay. Dave, Dave Pritchard became the actual musical director okay. in that final year. Yep. Yeah, so he was he kind of, um, you know, was elevated to that role, and uh, and I, I I got to do more arranging because yep. of that, you yep. know. So yeah, but yeah, it was fun, and and um, you know it was nice to get that extra income as well, you know. Yeah, sure. um, even though it wasn't like a lot, but it was enough to, you know. And I must say that I really enjoy arranging more so than bass playing nowadays. Yeah, right. You know, it's yeah. kind of because the bass I've been doing it. It's it's like a you know it's like being married to somebody for. <laughs> 40 years sure. or so you know I mean you know good old dependable bass is always going to be there and all that and you have that kind of like I have periods where I just you know don't want to play the bass and just put it down and yeah and but the arranging thing is kind of really new and exciting and getting to learn about all the different instruments and what they can and can't do and yeah. you know voicings and all that sort of stuff you know yeah, well, yeah. that's such a mistake a lot of people make when they try and do their own string arrangements they you know they write these parts that not even knowing that that particular instrument can't play that high oh yeah or that instrument can't play that low or absolutely yeah well you can't get from there to there on that instrument that quickly that that kind of thing yeah i mean i've heard stories about like even like big budget things yeah like you know um i won't name any movies or shows or whatever where the person who was the orchestrator was someone that was just a great sequencer or programmer or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, and they just happened to have, you know, this great sounding string library or whatever. Yeah. You know, and you could play just a unison, you know, like, a, you know, a C in the violin, C in the, you know, in octaves, you know, in the cellos and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But with a great sounding sound library, it does sound amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah. it's really not much happening not there much at happening. all, you yeah. know. Or, so, you know, it's a real art to kind of like, you know, study the, you know, the masters and, you know, like check out, you know, string quartets and, or, you know, even look at scores and just see how things, I mean, that's actually to me is like, you know, that's like, wow, you know, you check out like, you know, the planets or something like that, oh, some score, cool. and then you saw like, oh, you know, Appalachian Spring by Marin Copeland, you're checking out, wow, that, you know, that moment there what what's going on you know and then you check out the score and just see how they wrote that or you know and, or you know what textures they're using and, or you know it, it's it's fascinating you know I feel like I'm I'm kind of like a beginner again learning music yeah, it's really cool. you know because it's like you know I mean compared to those guys I mean they're, they're just monsters you know yeah and going back to um the <clears throat> quote unquote Amateur arrangers mm. type 
Um, when you're listening to movie soundtracks and stuff like that, do, are you listening for that stuff? Do you find your ear go to that? Look, sometimes. I suppose yeah. it depends on, say, the mix or, you know, certain things might pop out. I suppose I'm really conscious conscious of it when I'm um, watching a movie like Star Wars or, you know, oh, any yeah. of those John Williams type John things. Because yeah, yeah. I just know, but even when you sort of sit down before the, you know, the opening credits, you just know that musically you're just going to be taken on a ride, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it's just like optimum orchestra, sure. recording conditions and all that sort of stuff, yeah. you know. Um, but sometimes I just, you know, well, actually not sometimes, most of the times I just kind of let it wash over me, you know, yeah, and just, cool. you know, um, sometimes, I mean, music's very important in, in, you know, setting up the mood, you sure. know, and, all, and, and, you know, identifying characters and stuff. I suppose with the whole arranging thing, I kind of got into the whole composition thing, you know, because it was all about learning how to compose and, you know, studying different techniques on writing music and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, my whole masters was kind of like done on that, yep. um, that whole thing. You did that fairly recently, didn't you? I did that. I did my masters. Well, I, I graduated my masters um, in two thousand and ten, two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a masters of music and composition. Great. Yeah, and um, and that's how that CD got that I gave you yep. a copy of. That's yep. how that got recorded. Was um, that was the the uh, portfolio of compositions and. Um, that was, yeah, I'm, I'm so proud of that CD because, um, you know, the guys, you know, so it was Gordon Rittmeister on drums and James Muller on guitar, Bill Risby on keys and Tony party on percussion. We recorded that whole thing in two days and their playing was just, you know, off, off the chart. They just rose to it and, you know, I'm just so proud of what they, what the magic they brought to my music, you know. Yeah. Um, I'd love to get back into the studio and, and you know, do another one and yeah. with, with those guys and, and all that, but, you know, life. <laughs> yep, yep, right. You know, life and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe maybe next year. That's maybe. cool. So that CD, is it... Um, I know it's not available on Spotify or Apple Music because I looked for it today. Yeah. And you, you've given me some CDs. Mm. Um, are they uh, available... Purchase from anywhere? Look, I've got two. I'll, 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 put, I'll put the link on. My yeah, I've got two boxes at home. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, I suppose if they, you know, if you, I can give you my email address and they can, yeah, you know, or an email address or a link or something, they can just, if they want a copy, they can just write, you know. Great. And, yep. You know, I'll post it out to them or whatever, you know. Awesome. Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny because, like, I mean, that was sort of like eight years ago. Um, so I've kind of dropped the ball with kind of like the promotion side of it. You know? yeah, it's, a, it's a different sort of animal these days, though. It is. Well, it's a yeah, harder that's a, back then. Am I right? Mate, that's another podcast right there. Yeah, you know, the whole sure. the state of the industry now with the streaming and yep. downloading and all that. You know, yeah. Talk a little bit about it if you like. The impact it's oh, had on you personally. Well, or? look, I mean, you know, hey, you know, it's not like I'm a big recording star or anything like that. But I mean, yeah, it's it's just it's just a shame the way things have gone, you know, like, um, with the whole, you know, I'm 56 now, years of age now, and I'm kind of, you know, it's a little bit cynical about the whole thing, you know, which is, which is a shame, I don't really want to feel like this, but, you know, it it, it is what it is, isn't it, you know, I just hear, you know, the whole Spotify thing, you know, the, the really low, you know, 
pittance of a royalty that they give to yep. people, you know, and all that. You know, it's just it's just a shame. My kids have never bought any music at all, you know, in their in their lives. Right. It's all downloading, and right. even my my youngest son, he's fourteen, you know, he was listening to um, a current thing. I can't remember what it was, um, and I said, "Oh, how did you?" get that like YouTube or something he goes no there's an app that just downloads the music for free you know I can't remember the name of the app or something like that and I went oh really well there's someone's missing out on a royalty on that you know so it's all that sort of stuff you know so yeah I mean there's a lot of challenges and you know uh, I suppose it's it's difficult for someone like myself because I've I've seen the gory days that's what I was going to say you've you've um You've come from the other side of it. Yeah, and just yep. seen it kind of gradually erode yep. over time, you yep. know, and, and even to the point now where, um, you know, even like three months ago I was looking at TAFE and thinking maybe I should do a course in something other than music. All oh, right. You know, because, you know, maybe maybe I should do like accounting or maybe I should do, you know, IT or something, you know. And I've spent a lot of time... You know, in in the music game, you know, trying to get to a certain position with my bass playing, and you know, and a lot of study and a lot of hours has gone into that. And mm. then just to sort of like then to think, oh, and I might have to think about doing something else. Yeah, it sucks, man. It does man? Yeah. It does. Well, what 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 about you? I mean, like, I mean, you know, uh, your your view of the industry. I mean, is it similar, or do you yeah, hopefully uh, a bit more optimistic? <laughs> um, yeah, I was talk- uh, for me. I was talking to um, a mate last week. He asked me a similar sort of thing, and I, mm. I don't. It doesn't affect me as much on that sense because I've always had a full time job, mm. so I haven't relied on music solely for a income. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and that's my that's my always been my choice you know mm. um, and that's just the way that I've gone um, but I definitely see the impact it has on people like okay so I, I um, released my own music and I know how long it took to do that and the hours it took and then I got a streaming report back from Spotify actually came out today and kind of looking at it going well that's, that's pretty cool the amount of people that listen to it, but I don't think I'll see, be lucky to see 20 cents out of that. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, um, yeah and that's just, oh, you know, I'm such a small scale, it doesn't affect me that much, but, you know, I definitely have seen and heard a lot of stories of people that's affecting really bad. I was just going to say, like, probably a lot of people that you interview too, you know, it'll sure. be really interesting to sort of, like, you know, get their take on. Yep. I suppose we've all got different, you know, and, and here's the other thing too. I mean, the rea- reality is, I, as I said, I'm 56, you know, so I'm not going to be considered. You know, I'm in a different stage of my career. Right. I'm not going to be that sort of like that young, hungry kind of bass player that's going to you know try and do all the happening gigs around town. And, yep. You know, I've kind of my time has kind of I've kind of done that, and now I'm in this next stage. You know, yep. um, a lot of my students are, are doing you know these great things. You know, um, one of my students is. Um, Ex students was uh, you know, Camilla Charlesworth, and she's oh, just, yeah. she's, she's killing, killing it. it in the states. Oh yeah, she's doing yeah. great. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. looking at you know Instagram, and she's doing all these great gigs. And, yeah, you yeah. know, and and you Lots know, and, 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 yeah. and as as a, you know, and that really warms my heart to see that you know because I mean she always had talent. Oh yeah, 
like even before she came to me, you know, yeah. like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lucky that I had some influence on her. Because I taught at AIM, actually. I haven't talked about that. I, okay. I, I taught at AIM for about, you know, a long, long time. Okay. On and off, you know, Australian Institute of Music. Yep. And so I got to see a lot of these guys who were, you know... In fact, I just got called for a New Year's Eve gig by an ex-student drummer who was at AIM, who I knew from AIM as a student, and most of the band are these sort of ex-students okay. that were around at the time. Awesome. Like, you know, so it's, it's, that's going to be really nice to sort of like, you know, kind of, you know, well, it's not going to be nice to be the old guy, but it's going to be nice to sort of like <laughs> see, the, see them all, yeah. all again, you know, yeah. and, and, and get to hear them play and yeah. all that, you know. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that AIM thing was, was great. I got to sort of like connect and somehow influence and maybe, maybe good, maybe bad. I don't know. <laughs> you yeah, want yeah. to talk to them. Yeah. Um, and, and see, you know, some of them do really, really well, you know, it's, it's really, really nice to see that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that does, it does sad me a bit how you're thinking, am I going to have to go to TAFE and do another yeah, that's that. That's yeah. That sort of hits hard. Well, it's uh, uh, sorry, I didn't want to sort of make it into a pity party. No, 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 no. It's not but, what I meant. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, yeah. But, just, but I thought the same. Thing. When I was younger, I was thinking, wow, I thought new music was going to be forever. look after forever and look after me and yeah. all that. But you know, I suppose you know they say that the only thing that's inevitable is change. You know. Yeah, I guess. Yes. And um, you know, and the industry has changed, and and yep. either you change with it or you. That's the key right there. You, you know, change with it all. You or, know. or you yeah. don't, you know. Yeah. And, and, and it's really a personal thing. I don't begrudge people who, um, you know, want to, um, uh, you know, opt out of the industry or, you know, or become a weekend warrior or whatever. that. We've all got our circumstances, you know, and everyone's got our, we've got our own stories and, yeah. you know, got to feed families to feed, mortgages to pay. Yes. Sydney's an expensive town, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, really expensive. So you know, you could. We've just got to do what we got to do. You know. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. I mean, thankfully, I'm, I'm at the moment. I'm writing some string arrangements for for somebody. You know, and so you know, that's great. I, I mean, I can actually sort of like get some more money outside of yeah bass playing. You know. Yeah. And being being you know, so if a young person said to me, you know, how do you make a living in this industry? I'd say, you know, move to the US would be the first thing. Go to Berkeley. Um, the second thing I'd say was is diversify. You know, just you know, learn to play, learn to write, learn to sing, learn to record, learn to produce, all that stuff. You know, just got to have your, your your hand and or your foot in all these different things. You know, that's how you survive. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Gee, that got kind of. That was a long-winded rave too, huh? No, no not at all, <laughs> man. Yeah, people want to hear this stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you played with uh, Tom Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. That was a that was a TV thing. Okay. Um, and Tom had that big hit, uh, "If I Only Knew." Oh yeah. You know that that big yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he came out to Australia, and then they did a um, a TV special on him, and. Um, uh, it was a Ray Martin thing. He was interviewing him and all that, and they, you know, Tom wanted to do two songs, and so they put a band. To, the MD Jamie McKinley put the band together, and it was a good band. It was um, uh, Peter Northcote on guitar, Kerry Buchanan on drums, myself on bass, um, uh, Tony as a party on percussion, uh, and Tim Oram on sax, um, Paul Thorne on uh, trumpet. 
Herbie Cannon on trombone, and the singers were Barry Leaf, backing singers, Barry Leaf, Erin Clark, and uh, Danny Olgahart. Great band. Yeah. So we um, really, really good. In fact, it, uh, I think there's a clip of it floating on Facebook sometimes. It right. kind of you know pops up occasionally. Um, anyway, so we re- rehearsed the two tunes, and pretty much we had to play for Tom before the show aired, uh, before they taped the show, so that Tom would either say yay or nay, is the band going to be good enough or oh, not? Right. So we played, and thankfully they liked us. And right. so we actually, and so we got to play with Tom these two tunes on on that particular show. Did you get to spend much time with him? Not really. Yeah. No, no, I didn't get to know him. His his, his uh, son was his manager at the time. I don't know if the son's still the manager, but but Tom, you know, big kind of megastar. It's like yeah, you know, yeah, but so, uh, you know, um, when you well, in my experience, you know, you work with these people who are like at the at the you know these mega stars, you know. They, they're always kind of pulled away from people, you know, by other people, you know, they're always kind of going to go over there for a photo opportunity or, you know, get whisked away or whatever, you know. One of the most humble, nicest people that I've ever met who has reached those heights, um, and I still am lucky to play with him on occasion when his regular bass player doesn't play with him, Mitch Cairns, um, is Leo Sayer. Oh, yep. He yep. is... Man, he could be sitting here like you and I now and he would, you know, with all the stuff that he's done and the success and blah, 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 so humble, so oh. down to earth, so, you know... And and that's actually really, really nice because that's a that doesn't happen yeah. a lot, you know, yeah, yeah. in this industry. Um, yeah. Hey, Leo, if you're listening. Yeah, cool. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Um, Debbie Reynolds... Yeah, well, she, well, <laughs> speaking of that sort of like upper echelon mega star kind yep, of thing, yep. I got to play with her. She did a couple of concerts at the Opera House, and I was in her band. She had an American piano player, American drummer, and everyone else was Australian. It was a big band, you know, horns and all that stuff. And I remember as we were rehearsing, I'm looking over to my right into the wings. So this is on this is on the stage of the concert hall at the Opera House. I'm looking over to the um, to my right over in the wings, and there's Debbie standing there, and she's got these kind of really big, dark sunglasses, huge, and she's just looking like that. So I just I was looking at, it and I just kind of like just gave a little wave, like to her, like that, you know, a little five second wave sort of thing. And she just stood there and did not flinch. <laughs> she did not move. <laughs> she was just like, you know, and I'm just thinking, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to get a chance to chat with Debbie anytime soon. Right. You know, so, you know, whole Hollywood royalty, you know, back in the, yeah. back in the day. Yeah. You know? And she was, you know, she was great. She put on a good show, you know, and all that. But no into No, inter- no didn't meet her, didn't, you know. Really? Wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny as all that. Get, yeah. I don't get it either, you know. But I, you know, but I suppose, you know, when you've been around for as, probably as long as she had, she's probably met a lot of people. Maybe back in the, her day, she was really personable and... But, yeah, yeah, maybe but, something ha- happened. Yeah, that, yeah, that or you know, story. Eh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. 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 yeah, But that's cool. I think that's a funny story. That you know, me. Yeah, that, that's nothing funny. happening. Nothing happening. <laughs> nothing. Uh, nothing. Was, not yeah, even. Was, not was, even like a, a like a like a sm- didn't even crack a sort of a semi smile. <laughs> anything. Oh man. Very funny. Yeah. 
Uh, who else have I got here? Thelma Houston. Mm. She came out and did some shows in Sydney and I got to play with her. So you said, that's, that, that, that's the kind of cool thing that was happening is that I, I told you about that you know the disco thing was huge. You know, don't leave me this way. I was yeah. one of those. You know, in that whole era, was there. You know, the great bass playing on that particular track, and then you know, I get an opportunity to work with Thelma Houston and play that song. You know, and so you know that that's one of the thrills. You know, is, is yeah. you know you know meeting your, your heroes or meeting people. Were you thinking people. that at the time though? Or in, yeah, in, yeah. In I I know. I, I was thinking at the time because, like, I mean, you know. Uh, when I got the call, I, I just immediately went, oh, wow, I'm going to get to play that song yeah, and, and all that, you know. And she was a great singer. Yeah. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, she came from out from that, that whole gospel thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was an amazing singer. One of the, one of, probably one of the better, um, one of the best singers I, I got to work with, you know. Yeah. Just nailed it all the time, you know. Could right. all, could, could all, you know, had chops, had taste, you know, the whole groove. She did some funky things in her... In her show and all that, you know, yeah. just really nice. Yeah. yeah, and and how was her personality? Did you meet her? Yeah, she was really nice. Right. Yeah, she yep. was great. Yep. Actually, this could be coming uh, turn into a like, how nice were they? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's. <laughs> were they nice or weren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, might, oh, yeah. yeah that might be a thing. I, you know, it, it just it, I have met people where it's like you kind of like think, oh wow, you know, this is amazing, and then you know they they they're not nice or you know <laughs> they're not they don't sort of like you know. You don't expect him to kind of. Yeah. I remember meeting John Schofield at the at the basement, yeah. watching a show, and he was at the bar, you know. And I thought, oh, you know, I, I'm a pretty personal guy. I like, I up to people and having a bit of a chat and stuff, you know. Yeah, but he didn't want to know really, you know. Really? He's kind of really short answers and all that sort of okay. stuff. And you kind of go, well, maybe I'll throw out all your albums, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks, pal. Yeah, yeah. Now, apart from Jacko and um, who, who were your other Bass influences, bass guys. Well, there's one guy who it was kind of funny because he's a year or two old, and he's probably two years old than me. And I remember he was like coming onto the scene, on, on you know, on you know, with records and stuff like that. And I used to hear him play and think, and I kind of like in my mind, I kind of think, oh well, you know, I'm, he he and I kind of like you know similar age and you know he's a good bass player I love what he does and all that and so I'll cop what he does and I, I kind of saw that we were kind of our careers were kind of going in parallel stupidly I don't know what made me think that <laughs> well the guy was Marcus Miller oh gee. you know and you know yeah. and Marcus played on that Grover Washington wide yeah. light and I'm going yeah, yeah that's probably kind of cool and then I got to hear Marcus you know doing all this other stuff and the guy was leagues in front of me you know just right. like you know I mean, you know, Marcus is my favourite oh, all okay. time. You know, I, even though I don't play like him, yeah, I love his playing. I love his sound. I love, you know, his solo albums. I mean, because Marcus is the the producer, the composer, the you know, the bass player, the multi instrumentalist, the multi instrumentalist. He does it all. You know, yep. um, so he's he's like my my ultimate. You know, like I, everything he does, I just love. Right. Uh, I was lucky to actually go to, um, just after my 40th birthday, I racked up some frequent flyer points and, um, um, you know, I was able to go to Japan and see him play at the Blue Note for a whole week. Wow. That was a huge thrill for me. I wrote to him via his um, website and kind of said, hi, I'm your biggest fan and I'm coming to your shows, all your shows, you know, like, he did like eight shows 
and I went to seven of them. Right. And I paid for them. And and over there, they do two shows a night. I was there for both shows. So, right. you know, I was having two dinners and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Um, and he, on the very first night that I was there, um, I kind of had a copy of the email that I'd sent because he didn't, he didn't reply to it. His management replied to it. And it says something like, oh, make yourself known to any of the crew and then you'll, you'll get to meet Marcus. Okay. So that's what I did after the first performance. I, you know, I was waiting there and the place was empty and I was just the, the single guy there, you know, <laughs> and with my letter <laughs> and, um, you know, handed it in and then I was able to meet Marcus and, man, I, I was like the biggest, I felt like the biggest groupie. You know, like I couldn't string two words together and, <laughs> and all that sort of thing. And he was really nice. And so what he did was he basically said, you know, he was so warm and, and nice. And he said, look, you know, after every show, come to the dressing room and, you know, we hang out and talk and, and awesome. all that sort of stuff. It was great, you know. Um, and then, you know, the, the eighth show, he said, oh, we'll put you on the door, you know. And I went, oh, great. And he, he had this big joke, you know, buy seven shows, get one free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <of> yes. <laughs> um, which was a big joke. I remember the whole band laughed about that. Yeah. But it was like Dean Brown, uh, Poogee Bell was the drummer, um, and uh, Bobby Sparks was on keys, and um, Patches Stewart and Kirk Whalen, um, they were the horns. Um, it was great. And, you know, what was incredible about seeing that was that even though they were doing the same tunes... The album that they were promoting was um, Silver Rain. Um, they were doing the same tunes, but Marcus was kind of like real. Had this kind of mild sensibility, that, you know, like kind of stretch things out. So no two shows were ever the were, were kind of the same. You know, right. he'd like he'd, and he'd be doing different solos. Right. He wouldn't be kind of like you know just locked in the one thing. He'd be like taking chances. And I literally was probably maybe a bit further back yep. from where we're sitting now. Yeah looking right at him, you know, yeah. and, and just to experience that sound live, watch him move, you know, and, and you know, and he'd jump on the keys and he'll do something. Oh, right. Incredible, man. Just, you know, and it just, it, it basically confirmed to me that he is just an incredible human being, you know, an incredible musician, human being, yep. you know. Um, so, yeah, Marcus is my, my ultimate. But I, I, I also like... I like the session guys, like on the session guys. You know, I really love like Nathan East. I love Will Lee. I love um, Jimmy Johnson. I love that whole LA yep. Jimmy Haslip. All those guys. You know, I've got all. I've got a huge CD collection, and a lot of it is that kind of West Coast, yep. New York, late seventies, eighties kind of fusion kind of thing. Uh, you know, Larry Carton, Lee Rittenow, all those sort of things. Um, you know, I just love that, and and I think what I love about it is like I love not only the musicianship and the production and all that, but I just love what, you know, the, that whole idea about you know a musician seeing a part and then them kind of making it their own, you know, like Nathan East for example, you know, like I mean he just seems to play the right thing all the time, all the time. Yeah, that that in itself yeah. is a difficult thing to do. Yep. You know, and you, you now you know why he's just like you know super successful and. Why everyone loves him, yep. you know, and uh, you know he can, and he's got it all. He's got the great sound. He can play, um, come up with the great part. Um, you know, everyone loves playing with him. You know, he's always smiling, and you know he he really knows how to market himself too. And he can sing, and he can sing wow. too. Yeah, I remember 
Um, I got a chance to meet Nathan um, when he came out um, on that first tour with Eric Clapton. And the band the band was um, Steve Ferrand on drums, yep. Greg Fillingaines on keys, yes, yep. him on bass and Eric Clapton. And then there was the two girl singers. And Jarko had just died. Oh. Jarko had, like I think, like a month before or something like that. And um, so... In, the sh- in this Eric Clapton show, you know, it's like, you know, them doing all those hits and, and blah, 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 you know, White Room and da-da-da. Um, they go into a remark you made, you know, the tune off um, Heavy Weather. And there's Nathan playing, you know, the, the melody and all that sort of stuff. Man, it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, just so beautiful. And, you know, and I've heard, like, stuff that uh, and heard stories about, like, Nathan, um, you know, he, him playing at the Baked Potato. I had friends that have seen him and... You know, and Nathan was playing with like with Steve Lugather and Picaro and all those guys, Lost Lobotomies, that whole yep, thing. Yep. You know, that 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 I love all that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, love reading about it, love hearing those stories. Yep. You know, and 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 uh, yeah. I'm reading Lucas's book at the moment. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. got it too. Yeah, yeah. I've, only, I've only I've just been busy, but I've only read like the first couple of chapters. Yeah, so I can't yeah. wait to dig into it. Yeah. He's starting to get deep now. I'm, is he? Getting right into it now, yeah. And he, he's just, just won the Grammys. That's what I'm up to. Oh, career. right. The Toto 4, so that's the that's what I'm up to in the book. Yeah. Well, yeah. funny enough, that Toto, that first Toto record, that was one of my... There was like three albums that I kind of bought at the same time. Yeah. Um, and um, which have, have, have kind of had a, a, a profound influence on me because I've, I've kind of... They've been there all through my life, you know. Yeah. The first Toto record, Earth, Wind & Fire, um, all in all, that album with Serpentine Fire and all that, love that album. Yeah. I play it all the time mm-hmm. when I can. And Goodbye Yellow Bit Road, right. which was actually kind of released a couple of years earlier. But mate, that album—I mean, the, the the songs and the you know the, Elton, the, that band—that that was like they were at their prime. Elton was at his prime. Right. You know, check out the bass playing on that record. My God, D Murray. Just speaking of Serpentine Fire, have you heard? Nathan East's version of it on his new album. Is that um, the the last one he did? The last, re- last year or whatever. Rele- oh, is that re- called Re Reverence? Is that Reverence? Yeah, it's got he, they got seventeen yeah. fires on it. Oh right, you know what? I think I heard it once and I haven't. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah. That, and they had the actual. He had the actual Earth Wind Fire Masters with him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you got there's a video on it. A video about it on. YouTube, Facebook. Oh, I'll check it he, out. Like, yeah. Walks into the studio holding these masters, and he's going, "I got the masters." <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's, cool, kind of, yeah. it's kind of funny with Nathan because I, I when I heard that first album, you know, um, and these are just purely my opinion. You yep. know, I, I mean, you know, everything's immaculate about it, but I kind of wish that Nathan had stretched out and kind of had didn't did less covers. Yeah, I kind I, of get a sense that it was kind of more a commercial. Yeah. I, yeah well, he had. Um, he just become, correct me if I'm wrong, was it Yamaha's first recording Yeah, artist? yeah, that's right. Yamaha got Yamaha this label. Yamaha got this label first, and he yeah. was the face of the label and this was That's the exactly first. right. Yeah, because um, I, 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 I know what you're saying. It was too perfect for me. Mm. It was too... Too clean, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that I mean, that's cool, but that's yeah, not. it was more the choice of songs, and you yeah. know, and, and the fact that he was kind of like doing, um, you know, a lot of duets, or you know, like getting this, pulling the stars in. Yeah. So it was more about, for me, it was more like, oh, I want this to go, or maybe it was him in conjunction with the, the producer who was also is actually part of Yamaha. Oh you right. Know, you know, Chris Guerra, I think his name was, or whatever. 
it was more about let's make this a commercial success. And maybe maybe that's more Nathan nowadays. Maybe it's all about the money and yep. and all that. But I kind of think you know this guy's got like a, you know, a zillion dollars anyway. Make more of an artistic statement. That's just my personal yeah, opinion. Sure. You know, yeah. I would have loved to have heard more of his originals. Yeah. And and more of him kind of like maybe stretching out a little bit. You know, yeah. mind you, you know, I mean, you know, it's amazing because the last track on that first album, "America the Beautiful," you know, he's playing the melody. It's beautiful, and then the choir and the orchestra kind of kick in. And then yeah. I, you know, when I first heard it, I thought, the schmaltz, you know, <laughs> man. It's so Disney, you know. It's like that's what it, that's what it felt like. It's like, oh man, you know, like see the Jonas Brothers pop up. Or something. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. You know, Ariana, what's her, yeah, Ariana, Ariana Grande, Grande, whatever her name is. Yeah, you know, come out on Taylor Swift. And, yeah, yeah. It was it was more like that, you know. And and anyway, but you know, hey. Good on him. Good on him. Yeah. You know, it, and I think it did really well for him. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. so hey, you know, what do I know? I'm just a bass player from Baldwin Hills. Hey. You know, all <laughs> 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 good. Um, yeah. So that whole session thing is actually really um, uh, fascinating to me. And you know, and and having done recording myself, that's something that that's really, really, um, really. I, I love it. I love the challenge. You know, of trying to kind of come up with something. Yeah, or, it's cool. You know, not that I'm any huge session guy in the league of those guys. You yep. know, Will Lee is another amazing player. Man. Yeah, first I heard of Will Lee was on the Lost Lobotomies album, yep. and it was just um, oh, I can't remember the name of the song. The bass line goes and Yeah, man, see something it. about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, here we go. <laughs> and then uh, it kind of does this, this this break into an outro part, and um, just the groove. Mm. I don't know what it was, but I, I remember driving up the Central Coast, just hearing that going, "Wow, what is this?" It mm. was really simple. Yeah. And then, of course, I looked it up, and Will Lee, and then there goes my fascination for Will Lee. Yeah, absolutely. Like him and well, you know, Will Lee's like. You know, he did that whole kind of Tonight Show, Tonight Show Led, thing, Letterman yeah. thing yep. and all that, you know. But, man, you got to check out. I mean, Will Lee and Steve Gadd were the rhythm section in New York in the late yep. 70s. They yep. played on a lot of stuff, and they were both out of it too. Yeah. You know, like it was like, you know, but they, they were, you know, really, really happening. And yep. my exposure to Will Lee, because um, I mentioned my dad was a drummer. Yeah. So my mum and dad are, are, are kind of quite young. They had me when they were young. Mum was like 15, Dad was 18, you know. So when, I remember when I was growing up, the first Brecker Brothers album came out and my dad was like listening to that stuff. He was listening to Herbie Hancock, you know, with the whole thrust thing with Paul Jackson, you know, and um, Mike Clark. So all that stuff was being played. I remember like doing my homework and my, there's my dad listening to that first Brecker Brothers album. You know, the, Will Lee was the bass player on that. Yep. You know, and um, he just, you know, and he sings on a couple of the tunes mm. and he just carves it up, man. Yeah. You know, and, and he's kind of like being this guy, this go to guy that, that just pops up. Yeah. You yep. know, and, and like, and then I'm thinking, man, I love the bass line in that. You know, and if, if I find it was recorded in New York, chances are it was, was Willie. Yeah, well, my similar for me was on the drum side of things, it was, it was Jeff Bacaro. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah, even before I knew who Jeff... I didn't know who Jeff Bacaro was until he died. And my teacher at the time introduced me to him. He said, this is yeah. this band called... And he just recently died. Because I think my teacher came to 
to the lesson, he was really sad. Yep. And he told me, he said, oh, this guy, my such and such, Jeff Bacaro, just died. Have you heard of Toto and blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I've heard of Toto, Rosanna, Africa, that sort of thing. Yep. And that, that started my, wouldn't say obsession, but <laughs> fascination towards Jeff Bacaro. And yeah. then all these songs that I'd liked over the years, I just found out that... It's so he was the drummer. He was the drummer. On yeah. Him. Or he, you know, yeah, he was just, he was just part of that sound that I liked and I didn't even know at the time, you yeah. know. I don't know if it's a subconscious thing, knowing that, it, you know, he's... He's dead now, so it means more, or something. I don't know what it is. But, yeah, right. But um. Well, I think they're playing. It's like I mean, you know, he. I mean, drummers, you know, like Steve Gadd, for example. I yeah. mean, you know, like he's just like drummers revere him. Yep. You know, because he's just this amazing. Thing. And I think Picaro certainly is up there as well. You know, but yep. just the, the body of work. I mean, because Picaro played on Steely Dan records, yep. Yep. and he's you know a, a lot of the soundtrack of our of our lives. These guys have, exactly. have played it. You know, um, Gad was the drummer on Saturday Night Fever. That album was he? Yeah, he played on Jive Talking. Oh right. With the Bee Gees, you know, that's he's that's Gad. That I just found out that Gad was the drummer on um, Dion Warwick's. Um, Heartbreaker. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, so. yeah. Well, actually, another group of albums I should mention too that were very influential were the Al Jarreau records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so we're talking about, like, you know, um, This Time, which was the one before Jarreau. Jarreau won Album of the Year at the Grammys. Right. You know, and that, you know, and, and the playing on those records, you know, Abel Boyle was the bass player. He's another, yeah. another influence because he's played on a million things too. That's Abel Boyle Senior. Um, you know Neil Steubenhaus. You know I could I could rattle off a whole yeah. bunch of those kind of cats yeah. who aren't household names, but they're just yeah. you know their 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 bass playing has just been yeah. incredible. You know. On those Talking records. about a senior, um, there's a Michael McDonald song called "Dirty Talk," and he's the bass player on that, and I knew that. And then I find out that Picaro's playing drums on that. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. The two two of them, you know. And, I mean, oh, and um. Michael Landau playing guitar. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I mean, how amazing would it have been would have been for young Abe Laboreal Jr. Oh, yeah. When he was learning to go to Dad's sessions and then see those cats. Yeah. And and learn like seeing them play. Yeah. Probably having lessons off them. You know, they're yeah. probably offering tips and all that sort yeah. of stuff. I mean, man, how could you not be good? I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. You know. See that, that 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 all that stuff excites me, you yeah, know, it because it's like it's such a, a, a really golden period of of the music that I love, and unfortunately, and you know, it's just yeah. even those cats. I mean, even like, you know, like in the first few pages of, of um, Lucas's book, he talks about going from sessions to sessions, you know, yeah, during yeah. The, the the glory days. That's right. And even he says that that's, you know, yeah. that's long gone, it doesn't yep. happen. Yep. All, a lot of those guys are out on the road now, you know. That's right. Gad's even, you know, doing gigs out on the road. Yeah, he probably doesn't need to, though, but he doesn't know anything else, so he... Yeah, that's right, you know, and yeah. he's still playing great, so still why not? Great. Yeah, why not? Yeah. You know, why you still got it? I yeah. mean, I saw that Gad, that, um, Gad gig at the basement. Yeah, um, that was awesome, man. It sure was. Jimmy Johnson, man. I, know. I love that guy. You yeah. Know. You know, see, see, he's the perfect session, you know, that, that, you know, sound, plays the right thing, you know, can pull out the chop thing when, when it's required, yep. tasteful, yep. you know, and you can just see that the drummers love him. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. know, I've got him on some pop things. It's just amazing. Yeah. Anyway. Blah, 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 blah. I think we could talk for hours about this stuff. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. We should move on, shouldn't <laughs> oh, yeah, we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we'll probably round it up. We're going to go pick up my kids. So. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. What's the time? Oh, it's 2.30. Oh, wow, yeah. man. Yeah, we smashed it, man. We've been... We've been waffling for wow. Gee, I hope there's some. Time. I hope there's some gold in there. It's all gold. Maybe it's this. It's all staying. The, the, maybe the, my part. Maybe about the, <laughs> me slightly insulting bass players. <laughs> no, mate. I was no. here. You didn't insult yeah, me no. whatsoever. You know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, man. It's it's um, it's all good. You know. It's um, you know, and and you know, thanks to you, man. You kind of like you know. You're getting to hear all that, you know, all of us talking yeah, about yeah. all this stuff. It yeah, must be so exciting. It you know, is. It's a buzz. It's, yeah. it's kind of great that you're kind of you know carrying the torch. Yeah, I'm. You know, also hopefully the, the younger younger cats that you know they get to listen to the yeah. guys' stories. You know, because they're they're important. You guys paved the way, so to speak. And yeah. Well, you know what? Still I mean, paving the way. Still I say? paving the way. Yeah. You know, look. Yeah. I mean, you know. And, um, you know, there's a lot of guys I just dig what they do, you know, like, you know, Adam we talked about before, mm-hmm. Dawano, amazing, you know, Cats, Camilla. Um, you know, it's it's you know, it's I just get off watching them succeed, yep. you know, watching them play and listening to them and bring this whole, you know energy yep. you know, to, to the whole thing, you know. It's yep. really, really cool. You know, God bless them, God bless them all, wish them everyone, you know. Every success. Awesome. Yeah. What would you like to end on that? Or would you like to end on me telling a gag or something? Or... You can tell a gag if you've got one. No, I don't have and one. And then I can say, on that On note. that note. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one that's probably clean, you know. No. Oh, yeah, I remember my son telling me one time, you know, he said, Dad, what's a shih tzu? You know, this was a couple of years ago. He was like, I go, it's a dog, isn't it? He goes, no, it's a zoo with no animals. Tish. You know how we were talking about what we're going to cut out? It's probably That's probably one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Just kidding. Mark Costa. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much for Cheers, being on the Cheers, mate. Show. Ple- absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. All, All right. Beautiful. Best. Cheers, bud.
Thank you.